okay. So, uh, JPB Gerald here. I'm standardizing English. Um, this one is a, a rare occasion where I'm actually talking about language grammar. Like, grammar. Yeah? Um, not specifically, like, grammar points, but how grammar is used, um, how prescriptivism is used to uphold axes of oppression and academia and lots of stuff. I'm with um, Dr. Siobhan McElduff. Um, and she's a classics professor, so she knows all about the way these things are. And I'm going to talk about my experience in studying Latin for however many years I did, which I don't talk about anymore because it's not very interesting. But it will come up to, to in this episode. Um, yeah, that's it. I think that um, we're going to talk about some really interesting topics here. She's a really interesting person who has always shared interesting thoughts with me when we've had conversations. So... I think you'll enjoy the conversation. So, um, otherwise, um, what? For those who don't know, uh, this is a podcast about whiteness, language, education, academia, um, all sorts of things related to all those things. Um, and I hope that you enjoy the conversation. If you like what we do and you have extra cash around, feel free to support the Patreon, which is linked in the show descriptions. Otherwise, enjoy the show. All right, folks, welcome back to Unstandardized English. I'm JPB Gerald. You know that. I'm here today with Siobhan McElduff. I got the stress of the right part of the word correctly, so I'm very proud of myself for that. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, I, was, I, was, I, was good? I was all right? It was good. It was good. It was a solid, especially the first name, too, which is not easy in and of it's, it's all It's all from succession. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it's all from that. Um, for a very long time, I thought it was like C-O-B-E-N, So, um, but it's not. Anyway, thank you for joining me. Uh, if you want to tell the folks who you are, what you know, what you do and all that stuff, and then we can start talking. So, yeah, so, uh, yes, I'm Siobhan, and I am a professor of, well, associate professor, so of Latin, and Latin literature, of all things, at the University of British Columbia in British Columbia in Canada, in Vancouver, Canada. Um, yeah, so, and I guess, I don't know, I feel that's a weighty enough introduction without adding more. Mainly, I work on Latin prose, and I also work on uh less less tedious things but I think we're here mainly to talk about Latin and grammar so we might as well embrace it <laughs> well and I think that it's Latin's a good entry point for this because it's placed as this sort of idealized perfect language you know in, and I'm not saying that you think of it that way I'm saying that's the way it's positioned you know I mean not only is it part of classics the classics um but just like when I was in school, when I went to a private school, and before we even were offered foreign languages, we were offered Latin, right? So I started Latin in sixth grade, and then we got to choose French or Spanish, and then there were there was Chinese, and all that stuff wasn't available later. Oh. But like uh, before we got into the foreign languages, we had Latin. So the idea was that this is directly connected to English grammar, which which it only kind of is. Um, <laughs> there's been some changes. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and then we were we had the supposed foundation to take one of those romance languages. Um, 
And I took Latin for seven years from sixth grade to 12th grade. I, by the end of it, you know, I took, I took a whole class on Horace and Catullus, which has its own AP exam, which is, that's a very specific exam for there to be. Um, you know, I took a, you know, an Aeneid class. That's a whole class on a book um, for an entire year of school. Um, and, you know, and I, I did very well on the national Latin exam every year. The sad thing is, the one year I got a perfect score, they lost my test. <laughs> so I didn't get the oh, prize. No. Didn't get the prize. But anyway, when I think of Latin, I think of that. I think of pre precise rules. I think of declensions, uh, you know, um, and all of that stuff. But unfortunately, um, and maybe it's inevitable, Latin is often used as this cudgel, you know, um, against, I don't know, the variation of language, I think, that has gone on in the many, you know, decades or centuries since then. And I think that's unfortunate because if it was just thought of as what it was, uh, that'd be fine. But, you know, partially probably because of the Catholic Church and all these other powerful things have used it, you know, it's unfortunately used as a weapon and I don't think it should be. So that's my initial thoughts on that. Yeah, it's sort of interesting because like, I don't disagree with you on the sort of profile of Latin um, and it is a legacy of the fact rather than as a weapon it was I think intended like especially when it was expanded out in education as a way to allow people access to the middle and class and the elite because it's always been a subject of elite study and so like a lot of other things they were like well just start expand it out and introduce it to everybody and then they'll all have this and then but it didn't work out that way because um basically the actual, I guess, grammar and attitude you have now is a product of a lot of 19th century Englishmen and Germans and so and many, many other middle class and like white people. Like there's many, many hands going into that language. I think the interesting thing is like, it's also held up as something that's really difficult. It's not, it's a very easy language. Like it's, it's not yeah. difficult. It's not, it's pretty basic. They've only got like, they've got a really tiny vocab. And that's what I actually enjoy. I mean, I figure if you would be something useful, you would explain people why, I guess, Latinate vocab is so privileged over other words in Latin. That has very little to do with Latin and then Latin coming into English via, um, actually, via Bob William of Normandy, like sort of, it's, a, it's a, like, it along with French came in by conquest and then it just got associated and hung on to the upper classes but it's it's got a long very complicated imperial racist sexist um everything other terrible thing history and I think that for that reason alone it's probably best kept out of like schools in the sense of like unless you can present it as part of a um a package where students get to pick without any real pressure because it, it has uses but using it to teach people a modern language you'd be better off teaching them the modern language to be honest so yeah so I guess the thing to say about Latin is that what you have now is obviously the product of a very lot of loss like they had regular Latin like we do they had all that conversational Latin, but the big problem is pretty much everything that's preserved is just formal. 
So you've ended up with the formal side of the language and then no one's going to teach you the informal side because it really is disgusting. So like the other thing is people are like, why don't you teach them the interesting bits? And I'm like, well, it goes from formal very quickly into absolutely, absolutely deeply offensive to everybody in a way that level that could tell us we don't need revolve of the earlier parts. So, so it's sort of one of those subjects that like is... I think too problematic for its own by its own history. I mean, one of the things I I didn't learn it in high school. I learned it in college, um, and so and that is another thing because people then say it to you like when you're in grad school, you didn't learn it in school, so like you must be like one down. And in Ireland, we just got rid of it in every school. We just did not bother with the holy, despite the Catholic side. They were just like, nope. That's going out of schools. <laughs> it's a luxury. So, so we didn't really get it. Yeah. So it's, it is. I mean, I don't think you're wrong about all of those things. And I taught it also for a couple of years in high school as well. Like, and the AP exam that you mentioned, the virtual exam, the, I think the Horace and Catullus might be gone now. I, I hope it is. But... Oh, God. It was terrible. They changed the AP virtual exam. So that's the Aeneid exam. And attempt to make it update, up more up to date, but they just added Julius Caesar, so that didn't work. So, <laughs> you know, so it just became even more like problematic. So I don't know what is going on now. Like it really is, and the AP exam is kind of a killer because you're not allowed to have any interpretive ability. Really, you could only just say what's actually on the surface of the land. So it's insane. So you can't talk about like gender because like Virgil doesn't come out and say things like you know well I have issues with women you can't talk about imperialism even though it says I'm going to give you empire with that end in the middle you know and it's 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 a shame because like the Aeneid is a really kind of insane complicated poem but you just read it as a collection of grammar points that's all we did in Latin class was translate um yeah yeah just like that's it. We try, you know, you here, translate these 20 lines by tomorrow. That's yep. it. It was just yep. looking in dictionaries and nobody, like, unless it's something that is used frequently, you're not going to remember per se. Um, so, no. you know, you just, you just, it's a dictionary. You're just using a dictionary. It's like, I didn't really learn anything. The only thing I learned was like, you know, some, some etymology of Latinate words, like you're talking about, you know, and that's interesting, I guess, but, you know, now I have the internet. So, 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 so it just, it's not super important anymore. Um, but like, I think that what you're saying is true though, because the fact that it was positioned in sixth grade is like, because remember when I say it was in sixth grade, I mean, that class, you know, a school, full school year, not a, not a semester, right? So, you know, I'm in sixth grade, right? So the first half of the school year was just really intense English grammar. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm 10, so, you know, we hadn't really had a really intense English grammar class yet. Like, obviously, we all knew what we knew from speaking it, but it was, you know, like really building block stuff. And then we transitioned into the basics of Latin. So they were basically saying, like, these two are, are you know, tied together. Um, and you can't really know A without knowing B, which is not true. Um, but uh, I'm realizing that, like, that the way that it's sort of presented as this, like, innately tied there and what's interesting you're talking about how filthy it can be and that's what's not used in it you know 
how it's used as presented as this pristine language, you know, the classic, the columns, the Greco-Roman columns, you know, on outside of like this, you know, the court buildings and all that stuff. And that, that's what people think Latin and it's, it's written in, in, you know, with, um, it's etched into stone and everything like that. And it's like, yeah, it, that's, we have that because it's literally etched into stone and it's still there. Um, <laughs> it's not complicated as to why that's there and the discussions people were having. So they had a recorder to record people talking. So, you know, part of that makes me wonder what's gonna be recorded 2000 years from now, um, because there will be a lot more that's recorded, although we'll see what's going on with humanity at that point. But uh, on the other hand, like, it, it shows that grammar um, and this the way that language and hierarchies of language are all artificial because th th that's just what we have access to. And therefore we tell people that that's what's good. All it means is that's what, it, that's, that's what we have access to. That's, I'm repeating myself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It also sort of ignores that the Romans themselves had their own ideas, very well, ex very detailed expressed about their own language, which then just basically got replaced because somebody, like, I feel like, you know, if you go through Latin grammars or at least Latin books, as opposed to like, to, if you actually ever, the joy of a Latin grammar is that you realize like the textbooks are just really just trying to jam it into something that the Romans wouldn't have recognized because they don't use, like, it's not like they didn't have their own grammar books and they didn't have their own ways of learning the language and thinking about the language. And it's just like, essentially what you're getting is not even really, I think, Latin necessarily as a Roman would have understood it like because that's not like the interesting one thing I do like is though that you can now getting textbooks that are using what the Romans used to teach uh, people Latin and it's dialogues it's basically um, fascinatingly they have all of these little medieval dialogues that came in between stuff and um, yeah it's like you know how-to things like you learn First of all, you learned imperatives because normally if you were a foreigner and learning Latin, you probably had money. So you want to be able to order your slaves around. So the very first thing you learned as a Roman child is a long list of orders. Like, so when you were learning grammar, you learned the imperative first. Because as, and that was not based on gender, like whether or not you're a man or woman, that's the first thing they taught you because they assumed you need to order people around. And then they just took it off in different directions and they're not like how we would do it. And then they taught it a lot through dialogues. Like, so you would imagine yourself in the temple having an argument with a friend or you would imagine yourself trying to get money back from somebody or somebody would cut you in the forum and just wander off and not recognize you even though they've been like really, even though for reasons. So it's not really even like, I think the Romans would recognize it as their own language because it's not even their own category. So it's a pity because like, you know, they're sort of interesting people and they have their own teaching materials that we still have. So we just ignore it because we prefer, I guess, some 19th century grammar. And the worst thing is, there's a whole spate of those grammars that were produced by Confederates. There's a very popular Latin grammar for Americans that I just won't use any longer because it was made by a Confederate, a guy who fought for the Confederate army and it's deeply infused with racism. So it's like one of those things that like, it's a really problematic teaching history that's embedded in everything you do. So you have to be super careful. And I'm really enjoying that finally people are just coming out with, with how to teach books that are just not, they're just really just, we're not gonna do what we did in the eighties, nineties 
and 2000s any longer because we realized that was wrong. That's just interesting because I I didn't really, I mean, I'm not surprised by the Confederate thing. Um, Yeah. Because they, I mean, those are the people there that are always, you know, having a fetish for this nonsense anyway. Um, But what they love about it isn't what it actually is. That's the point, right? That's not actually actually what it was. You know, they love a, a, a projection of it you know, um, and uh, that is not too different from the way I think a lot of people who fetishize grammar, like fetishize it, like you just get really, really excited about grammar for its own sake, um, you know, feel about it. And a lot of people I know who have spent all of their time focused on grammar, you know, they tend to uphold a lot of those hierarchical values. You know, because if you're really obsessed with grammar, I don't just mean you know it because you studied it. There's a difference between studying it and knowing it and mm-hmm. like pushing it on people and saying that this is the yeah. only way to communicate, you know? Um, and I don't know anyone who was, who, I mean, this is anecdotal, but I know anyone who's, 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 you know, told me how much that they were really obsessed with grammar that wasn't also upholding some other kind of hierarchical views. You know, yeah, well, it's, it pretty much crosses over, I feel like. There's a very, it's not exactly probably 100% overlap, but it's pretty close. And it's, it also has to do with like hanging on to whatever grammar views you were taught were really important. And it's really hard to give up things, as we all know, that we were taught as 12 years old or 14 or 20 as rules, and then you pass them on. But like, I mean, it's just, it's not, I mean... It's very difficult and it's it's definitely very difficult because I'm in a very conservative area and it's also like Latin and classics, it used to beat the living daylights, not just like like out of people because they are seen as rigorous in a way that other subjects lack or seen as somehow purer because they're not, I don't know why, but I mean, I do know that like Romans really cared about grammar they hated grammarians. They would always go on about grammarians being like these annoying people who would come in. And that has to do with class because grammarians were stepped down often from authors. So authors tended to be, or at least the authors we have, tended to be elite, maybe hanging in on the edges of the elite. But grammarians are often like just way down there and they're not like respected. So, and so, they just have this internal struggle over who gets to define grammar. Is it grammarians with their rules or is it someone like Cicero who's just like, no, this is basically, it's a fungible object that works how you want it to be. And the the other thing is that like in the middle of their own civil wars, they went off on a huge fight between about grammar between Julius Caesar, Cicero, and a bunch of other really solid rich people. In fact, Julius Caesar wrote a grammar book. So to fight in the rows, and he dedicated it to the orator Cicero, who was very annoyed because he had to dedicate something else back to him because that was the way it went. But yeah, I mean, they cared about it, but they were pretty open about it being, I think, something that um, I guess he'd like fight over and publish books about, but you know, it was a subject for elite men. And then you had like ex-slaves, some free men, a lot of people, a lot of like Greeks, perhaps outsiders to Rome, to the city of Rome, new citizens who were grammarians. And then gradually as you get over about say 
as the empire starts to crumble and as you move into the middle ages those are sort of the texts that also transfer on and that are used by people who are really using losing latin as a spoken language so it's a really complicated process but it has nothing to do with the romans how how i mean i feel very firmly like the romans have no blame for how you were taught they may have come up with the language but it's not their fault that like you had it banged into your head as some white supremacist or or, but it, I will say in its favor, if you do a year a term of etymology in it, it can be very useful for deflating the pretensions of others. And I do feel etymology is a worthwhile subject, just being taught for a bit to students, just so that they can demystify it, but not just for one language, just for multiple languages. It's very useful to see how, how languages borrow from other languages without recognizing it and how complicated languages are in their relationships but i don't know if it's gonna it, it, not sure that latin alone will do that <laughs> so, let me just say that you know but yeah so there's a very complicated thing about how the romans thought about grammar and it really has nothing to do with us and they really honestly if you think like the sort of gatekeeping is bad there was a point when you would open, and that's not so long ago, you could open translations from the Latin, and when they got to the dirty bits, they would just stick it into Greek or Italian, so that young people couldn't read it. But if you could read Greek, you were fine, or Italian, you were fine to read out whatever offensive thing a Plautus or somebody was saying. So there'd be this big whole bit about, you know, da -da -da, and you'd know it was getting somewhere good, and next thing, the translation would just go into Italian so you wouldn't know homosexuality existed or something. <laughs> so, so there's a lot of work that's been done to keep that language acceptable for children, I'm going to say. You know, that's just, just funny because that's all really fascinating. And it's a similar thing to where I say that if I had been taught that way, I think I would be really interested in it. Like I, I finished high school and I kept taking it because I didn't know what else to do. I needed, yeah. to, take, I needed to take various credits, whatever, right? And I took French, mm -hmm. but like, I, I mean, I liked French, but like, um, uh, you know, I didn't have to keep taking Latin after a certain point and I just kept taking it because like, I just was used to it at that point. It's like, you know, Latin, whatever. Um, and at no point did I think I was gonna do it in college. Like I just had no interest, you know, because the way I thought of Latin, aside from the, AP exams was, and the national Latin exam, so basically exams, um, was yeah. like, I thought of like, you know, here's five rows, and this is what the word looks like in these five different circumstances, uh, and then there's plural and singular, and that's, that's a, I thought of a word, I thought of, you know, is it in the nominative, is it in the generative, is it in the dative, is it, I can't remember all four, um there's a locative and the worst know, that, thing that's is okay like, locative and ablative right yes yeah locative and the worst thing is they kind of lie to you because they have a bunch of old stuff lying around and then you'll be like and this is the, that case and they're like someone will be like i don't heard of that and you're like yeah that's because like old timey land like old timely they don't get rid of old stuff like they're just like we're gonna keep this word around it's gonna have that one case that nobody else uses <laughs> so. yeah so but so but that's all, you know, my whole association with it is just lists of various conjugations. It's just conjugations, that's, you know, and I'm well aware that the actual history of the place was really interesting, but obviously 
you know, you can tell that history through the language if you want to, and the way that it has been taught and then associated with, you know, high society in various American, not just American, but British and all these places, you know, has sort of tainted it in a lot of ways. You know, I don't necessarily want to make this episode just all just like, and Latin, the way we should all be. But in the sense that, like, it's just another example of something that could be really interesting, um, but it's flattened to serve people's purposes and turned into an obstacle as opposed to something that it could be. Like, it's the same way I feel about English in a lot of ways. And I don't, I'm not trying to judge beauties of language and all that. I think that's silly. But I mean, like, English and what I write about and how English is used as a, as a tool of pathologization, it doesn't have to be right you know it's used as a weapon but it doesn't have to be right now obviously in the past it has been used as a weapon and you can't undo that but like communicating with someone in english isn't necessarily harmful the same way that learning latin isn't necessarily harmful is what the purposes it has been used for and that's really i think a tragedy in a lot of ways you know i all the stuff i say about english sometimes people think that i don't like english or i don't like the teaching of it and i'm just like i just don't like the feel or i don't like the practices you know i i i can't and there's no language that, that I think is like a bad language or something like that, right? Just because I don't know what it is, you know? And, you know, there's, and Latin to me, especially in like American and British private schools is, is such a, a, just so closely tied to the aristocracy, even if that's not where it came from, but in this, like you said, in the 19th century, and you know, um, the mm-hmm. fact that that my, that my undergraduate degree ha- is, is in Latin, like the, the, it's written, like the physical degree is in Latin. Why? Because <laughs> it's classy. Everybody knows Latin makes everything classier. Now, if you stuck it in Greek, you won't be able to read the alphabet. So we're stuck with Latin. Uh, but it sorry. is funny because, yeah, because like, I do think it's also interesting because like I work a lot like on like Roman attitudes to different things. And like one of the things I work on is like the attitude, like so many Romans, the elite language for Romans was Greek. But they only learned a particular variety of Greek because you want to learn Greek like everybody spoke it. So you learned a variety of Greek that wasn't spoken any longer, essentially the dialect of Athens that was spoken like 400 years ago. So there's a very good chance that as a Roman aristocrat, if you spoke Greek, you were not speaking, it would be like speaking Shakespeare. It'd be like studying Shakespeare to learn English or something. You'd understand perhaps enough, but like you would sound weird. And so the Romans themselves did it, but they did it with another language. So, and then Latin itself was like pretty indiscriminate. Like from what you, what we have, like of like you know regular Latin, they just shoved in like all sorts of words in. So like you know, and obviously like none of nobody could spell really when you get into, when you go on graffiti and you know there were spelling variations and reasonable variations in Latin, which they tried to keep out. To be fair, <laughs> but you know. Their whole obsession was for rich people and people you were trying to pass off, I guess, as a rich, like if you were moving into those spheres, into the elite was to get your kid to know Greek and to get to know them with an Athenian accent. So they had to get an Athenian accent. So it was sort of funny, like they had this whole sidebar thing, which is oppressive for their own kids. Like, and then you get people who clearly went off all of that and just learned no Greek. Like, you know, they were sent off to Athens, like they were sent off like to Europe to do their tour, various islands, come back, like basically still need help in Greek. So it's sort of interesting to me that we just like, you know, that was, 
you know, enough for us. Like, you know, and then, you know, their own feelings about Greek being a soft language. Of course, the Latins are like, Latin is a manly language. It says everything in very quickly. So it's direct and to the point, which obviously no student has ever agreed with. You know, they're like, what is good about Latin is you can say things openly and clearly, unlike the Greeks who like hide behind stuff. And that just blows my mind because like, you know, it's super interesting to see them fight it out themselves over. And then they have all these own internal rules about whether or not you're speaking Greek too fancy or too Greek-like or too, it's too effeminate. Like, so Cicero um, gave a speech in Greek to a local uh, government and then people attacked him for it because they were like, you go and you go a native boy and you're way too soft speaking Greek and like you should be speaking the manly subject of Latin before colonial subtext. So it's really complicated themselves and they have a lot of their own problems with their own language, including a massive inferiority complex because it doesn't have all the paraphernalia of Greek and Greek got its grammar earlier. So like, it's sort of interesting that we then went with Latin and you know, Latins, Romans themselves are also a bit neurotic about the stance of their, the position of their language and how it will fare up against Greek globally because Greek was a global language and used as a thing, which we don't really talk about either. Like Greek itself has its own mad, ancient Greek had its own mad exclusionary process going on as well. So it's a really complicated ancient world. And it seems such a pity that people just get it through like, you know, stacks of grammar. See, that's, see that, I mean, that just shows that these people, people are just going to do that no matter what, with whatever language it is. Yeah. Uh, grammar is gatekeeping. You, like the moment, like, you know, people have been using grammar and language as gatekeeping for probably as long as people came up with grammar and maybe you should say it this way instead of that way. Or have you thought about the accent on that? Or is that plural really or masculine? But I've, I'm sure. I'm sure the first time, like, you know, someone tried a complex sentence, there was a disagreement about it. Like, really, yeah. like, I mean, I think, like, fundamentally, and I'm sure if I knew more about, like, other teaching traditions, like, older teaching traditions, like, you know, like in the Egyptian and Babylonian thing, I'm sure there's rows going on about grammar, you know, way back in, like, a thousand years before the Greeks and the Romans ever got into it. I mean, that, I just find that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's also kind of sad that we all, we, I mean, on the, it's more, it's not so much the language lent itself to that, it's that people are like, that. and that's just going to, you know, like, language is something that almost everybody uses, uh, or takes part in, and so uh, it is one of the ways that it's really easy to point out variety and deficiency. Um, you know, it's easy to construct rules around it, right? Um, and there's always been various forms of oppression and imperialism and, and hatred and so forth, but it's just so easy to use language to do it. You know, it's right there, right? You know, and then you can point out, well, that person is less worthy than I am because of the way that they use these words, where they construct these words, the way they communicate. Um, there's and- an actual dialogue about that in Greek. Like it's somebody who used the wrong word for hello or somebody, it's a non, it's by this guy named Lucian who is Greek and Syrian. Um, so ethnically, like, I mean, 
the Greeks basically do it by blood. Like, so if you've got a Greek dad or mom, like somehow you're connected to Greeks, but one of his family members was Greek origin, the other was Syrian. And he became a sophist, like a traveling speaker and like very entertaining. And then one day, like somebody, and they had huge fights and someone attacked him for using the incorrect word for good morning. Like it should have been a term that was used like later. So you've got a whole dialogue of people like who, 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 who basically saying I am right, but also you're a useless pedant who doesn't know how to write. So like, yeah, like they were like, yeah, they were using it themselves. And actually the Greeks even more than the Romans. Like they're like, yeah, they're like, don't listen to that fella. He's just some Syrian who doesn't know how to use the right word for hello. Like don't hire him for your like big public event to do a speech for you. And that's how basically, because you had these people who just wander the ancient world giving talks basic they were public intellectuals when they came to your town you'd be like yes we'll have Lucian give a big talk and yeah that someone would say you don't want to hire him <laughs> you know he's a foreigner he doesn't know his Greek <laughs> you know so really it's just like the fact that we ignored that the Romans and the Greeks themselves were very aware how grammar was used as a gatekeeping tool and fought over it is a real pity it's well then I mean that 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 that's like, I don't know, to me, if, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of how two things happen every generation at the same time. The new generation of middle-aged people talks about what's wrong with the young people. And this same generation of middle-aged people forgets that it happened when they were young people. And you can go back a hundred years newspapers and point out when in 1900 they were complaining about the young people being lazy right and i'm sure it's much older than that, but i'm just talking about from where there are newspapers right you know you can go back whenever newspapers existed somebody was complaining about the young people and and it's just like you should see it's the same thing with the grammar thing it's just if people are always like you're falling into the same patterns everybody does so that both means it is maybe natural or just common to 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 have an issue with the way that other people communicate but like on the other hand we also all have the choice not to do it <laughs> like we don't have to fall for these these traps these patterns we we are better than that uh, well we can be better than that um and it so i just find that annoying and i and i i think back to when i was you know both learning grammar and English, you know, more uh, intensively when I was in like high school and stuff like that, we went another grammar class and, you know, um, having to unlearn some of these ideologies because like I still, when I was a little bit older, you know, I would, and I'm not talking about when I was teaching English, when I, my job was to help people with it, mm -hmm. but like, um, you know, still in my head, my knee jerk reaction to someone who's having issues spelling, is like, what's wrong with this person? You know, I don't do it now, but you know, even like five, 10 years ago, like that's still the first thought in my head. It's like, what's wrong? This person's intelligence is clearly less than mine because the, word, the letters are in a different order, right? And I know that that's wrong. But before people jump in, into the, the comments responding to this, I'm saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that like, that's the way it's beaten into your head that you are less worthwhile if you don't put letters in a certain order or if you don't, you know, put grammar. I, and, and then the worst is that one thing I did learn by the time I got into my doctoral program is that I don't care anymore. 
right? So I try to, on the other hand, I don't make a point of messing with grammar on like just all over the place, right? Not because, yeah. you know, but like, I don't, then you're just getting precious about it. Uh, I, but I just try to say what I want to say. But then I did eventually have one professor, only one professor, who was really a pedant about grammar. And I'm like, man, we are doctoral students, leave us alone. <laughs> you know, and like, so one, as much as I am annoyed by it, I at least can understand the impulse on like, you didn't use this citation correctly, the formats, mm-hmm. whatever, like I, that's a form of grammarian nonsense, but at least in a program, you could be saying, I need to prepare you for when you're submitting to something. Yeah. Fine, fine but leave my grammar alone <laughs> and uh and it bothered me in that class particularly which was I, I can't believe it was two years ago at this point um because he was picking on the grammar of the one group where almost all of us were students of color mm-hmm. now i don't think he was doing that on purpose um but like i could see that the, the people in my group the other students of color in my group were, you know, what, less skilled. They weren't less skilled, but they used grammar differently than I did. Mm-hmm. And he was really pointing out how it was like an issue. And I'm just like, do you understand what she said? So then stop. <laughs> and, and, and also another story about grammar, that one person, and when I talk about people who are obsessed with grammar, grammarians and how, how often they have other issues, um, there's one volunteer. I used to work at a nonprofit and we had a bunch of volunteers teaching there because adults, I guess, don't matter enough to hire real teachers. And that's the way things work in nonprofits. Well, you have no money. Like, generally speaking, if you've got any money, you throw it towards like, like I think the feeling is like, if you throw them, if you need to hire professionals, make certain your healthcare professionals are professionals, healthcare people. With English, like, I think there's a feeling, well, you know, you're not going to kill them. <laughs> so. I mean, there's that, right? But, but like, yeah. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't send volunteers to teach kids, right? So, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, the, so adults got the volunteers. And one of the volunteers we had, we had had before I started working there, um, all she did was she taught verbs. Just verbs. Um, and then we tried to change the curriculum. We didn't have a curriculum, so she could do what she wanted. And I put one in. I'm like, why don't we do this? And she's like, I'm going to teach verbs. And if they're not, and then she just gave, it was the same every time every time and she was a former teacher like a professional she was retired and uh, we eventually had to get rid of her it's hard to get rid of somebody you're not paying so she's like stop coming here um <laughs> but uh but she just had really rigid views about people's progress and so forth and she's really unpleasant and then another person i went to a semi was the conference well i missed the conference but i knew that they were going to a place afterwards. And it was people I knew, it was in New York. So I went to meet them at the like cafe they were going to. And a lot of them met and there were some people I hadn't met before. And this one woman, I met her and she uh, she said, I and these people that she was sitting with, you know, we call ourselves the Grammarinos. We get together and talk about grammar. And I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, nothing good will come of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing good will come of this. Yeah. And so anyway, whatever. They're going to be weird and talk about grammar in their free time. Fine. I don't care. But I was talking about my budding research at the time when I was starting yeah. talking about the altruistic shield and just ideas I was having about race and language teaching and stuff. And uh, I don't know why I told her this, but I was just coming into the ideas. And, you know, when you get upset about a research topic or whatever, you just start talking yeah. to everybody. Um, and so I said what I said. 
and she did the thing that people do when they're not interested. And she said, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then she told me for some reason, but you know, it was clear when there were more black students in my class that they couldn't keep up. And I'm just like, <laughs> what, what does that have to do? <laughs> Why are you telling me this? Um, and that, uh, you know, so these are the associations that have people who spend all their time talking about grammar. It's that- not necessarily far, that far off. Like, I'm not gonna lie with you. Like there's a definite overlap between people who are obsessed with grammar, especially in classics yeah. and people I do not want to hang around with um, very much. Like, and it's funny because the I've had my English corrected, but by other English class, by English classicists, like, so I'm Irish and this accent is more my professional accent so that people can understand me. But it's also there because, you know, variously, like we are weirdly, a discipline that's built upon some sort of like English model, even if you're in North America and stuff like, or, and it is true, people, and I, I'm astonished by the way people sometimes just correct people's English, like, and it's an academic teacher thing, and I'm like, you, like, and especially, you know, if that's not, if someone hands you something and says, correct the grammar, then you add it back and correct the grammar and say, you can pay attention, but in conversation, the desire to correct people is a strange impulse, you know, unless of course they say something deeply offensive or just something like it's the wrong, like, yeah, like it's the opposite word or something. But this control over people's language is part of like many, many other things in people. I don't think you're wrong to associate a certain level of dedication to grammar enforcement with many other, many, many other issues in yeah. education. Let me just put it that way. That control, I think, is a big part of it, right? Because when language evolves, as it does constantly, there are people who get mad about it. And you say to yourself, what are they really mad about? It's not like they can't speak the way they were speaking, right? Language doesn't evolve so quickly that if language includes new words, you will sound like Shakespeare today, right? That's not how mm -hmm. language, there is no way that you are going to be, you know, unintelligible because language continues to evolve, right? Because new words were added to it, right? I mean, yeah, if you went into a coma for six years, maybe, but like, you know, it's not, it's not going to happen. Um, it's also that problem with just assuming that varieties of English don't exist. Well, like there's, yeah. yeah, there's like a Canadian standard. I'm in Canada. There's a, I don't know really. I mean, I don't know if there's a U.S. standard or there's a Western U.S. standard. But you know. Oh, I have a whole section English. on that in, 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 in my book but about standards. Yeah, so like, and so like they all come from different sources. You know, Hiberno-English is not UK English and I, really resent like you importing like I mean there's also that in that like a dialect of English is not incorrect simply because it uses different constructions um and that's somebody English and I think that's the other way to do it is, I mean when I basically 
I mean, there are like one of the problems with doing Latin is that you have to say, well, you have to accurate translate it accurately enough so I know you know it, <laughs> like you know, as opposed to things. So I'm like, well, base it's a variety. Like you should stick to the variety of English that you're most comfortable with, and try and keep that regularly so that we can understand that. But it really is if you choose to translate something into a different variety of English, then that's not that shouldn't be a problem if your variety of English is not, say, one particular standard that I learned in school. And I'm very aware of that because I'm not Canadian, I'm not North American, so that like my use of English may not overlap with students. And so, I mean, that's a thing. And I'm always amazed that people just don't bother with that. They move countries and they're like, nah, I'm just gonna like keep going with the old, like with the, with the hammer of English grammar. Like, you know, there aren't, massive massive differences in the types of English that are spoken you know or use written like you know you don't read like as a local you don't read like somebody using a dialect of English you go well it's so much better if they use the plural correctly (laughs) I would have appreciated it so much more if they're like if they like had used the correct form of the past tense you know and also like yeah I don't yeah, so I don't really get that impulse, but I think it is coming from really a lot of problematic places that people don't think about enough. Well, it reminds me of the way that they told me when I was learning French that there's like a society of trying to preserve the French language and how they resist, oh, yeah. how they resist every time they bring in a word from like English or something. So they, they say like officially, you can't say le weekend, right? Yeah. So the, you're the, yeah, right. So you're going to say, no, le fin de semaine. And I'm just like, okay, yeah. no one is going to say that, though. Um, and I mean, s- sometimes those like cognates are really funny and I like them because they'll, they'll change it in a strange way. And like, because the noun for shampoo is shampooing. Why, yeah. why is it ing? I don't know. <laughs> Which, so it's my favorite French word because it's shampooing. Um, and I just like that. But anyway, you know, there are people who expand, whose jobs, like their duty is to stop the language from evolving. Um, and yeah, they have it in many languages. English doesn't simply because they've, and they've always talked about it every so often, somebody in UK or like, there's been, this has been touted, the Academy of English, like, yeah, to protect English from its bastardization. It does. It, there is one somewhere, but it's just not prominent. Like I've seen yeah. it on, I've seen it online. Like I went and I looked it up, and I and 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 uh, it's just nobody seems to pay attention to it. You know, because nobody cares. But like, uh, I mean, I can't remember. I can't remember if it was if it was from the United States or Canada. I think it was UK actually, which would make sense based okay. on these sort of things. Um, and they say like we give speeches on the preservation of the English, you know, something like that. Um, so it exists. It's just that it's not an official government body the way it is in France or other places. Um, and That's so they've got Oxford and Cambridge for that. Like I what? swear, like you don't understand like how much of like. I mean, I feel like when you don't have it, it's because you don't need it because you've got some other way of managing like that language, like the standardized standardized form of that language, still retaining whatever gloss of whatever thing you wanted to do. But partially, I feel like people say that about English. Oh, we don't have a command. Well, you know, well, you have it, like three schools you listen to. Well, that's but that's <laughs> true. That's true because we don't even, even in the United States, 
people on the street talk how they talk, but like what we consider to be, I don't know, the highest level of the language is still what's in the journals and stuff like that, right? Um, obviously fiction and all that does bust out, you know, um, but it is seen separately. Um, it's, you know, it's art, right? So it's seen separately, it can be more experimental, that sort of thing. But like, if you try, if you try to go up in an academic journal and write the way that you talk, it's not going to get in there unless you are in like a special issue and you're trying to do something special or whatever, right? You know? I've tried to get Irishisms in every so often and every single time they go out. <laughs> so like I said, uh, I mean, sometimes people are sympathetic, especially if they're also Irish. They'll be like, well, you know, I'm sorry, but nobody will understand that. Like, or that'll get people upset. Like, I'd love to keep it in, but yeah, so, no. <laughs> right. So we don't have one government body, but we do have, you know, the global journal publishing system, because mm -hmm. even in other countries, they're mostly in English, right? Not all in English, but a lot of the time they are, right? And they're being judged by English speakers. And so, you know, that's uh, one of the ways these things are enforced, even if it's done informally. But it's like, the, it's basically news. Like, it's like, you know, it used to say the Queen's English, but what you say meant whatever the newscaster would use. Like, you know, so like, it's basically whatever tone of, whatever, whatever grammar you use for your news, that is usually the grammar that you approve of. Like, you know what I mean? Because that's always in this slightly not always but like not the reporters but like the anchor people are always like used to be slightly pretentious maybe less so now but now we've gone to fox news and all this but i feel like there was definitely a standard is would you use it in a public i feel like the english is would you use it in a public statement about the queen you wouldn't then it's not right like you know if the queen would cry like when she read like or something like that so i don't know what it is and the other thing is i find it's actually more frustrating because it's actually hidden in some languages. In the United States, for a long time, it was modeled after Cleveland accent, really? the city of Cleveland, not for any particular reason, but because the person who was teaching newscasters how to talk was from there. Oh, wow, I had no idea. So I don't know that he wasn't trying to teach them to sound like him. It's just that it was more under the surface. So they, for you know, they all sounded like old timey, you know, actors for a while. And then over time, it became much more like that. And then it depends. If you're in like a regional area, then you're supposed to sound like where the people, you know, mm -hmm. now they make a big deal in New York, like not the national news, but like the New York news. Oh, these people are from New York. These people are from New York, right? And I'm sure they do that in Texas. And they say, these people are from Texas, yeah. you know, you know, so that they really understand. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm sure if they did their homework, they could figure out what the city's like. Um, but the, like, the ads say like, Rosanna Scotto, she's from Staten Island or whatever it is. Like they say that it's like, oh, well, she's actually yeah. from here, it must be better. Um, and so what's interesting is that in every place, different voices have different cultural capital. Mm -hmm. So like in certain places, the regional accent is a, makes people trust you more. But then you try to go into academia and it's seen differently, especially if you're writing. Um, and so it's, it's all a mess.
basically. And uh, I don't like it. But <laughs> yeah. The, the, I don't think anybody's particularly happy with the situation because, like, you know, people who see themselves as the last upholders of like whatever language it could be english it could be french it could be irish too like i mean it's not like there isn't a single language that like is free from this i mean maybe there is i'm sure there's somebody will come in and say actually in x language we don't have these arguments because we're not insane and i take that back but all every language i've encountered it's the same debate and it's the same lack of like the same dissatisfaction especially you know if you have smaller languages which have really heavily dialect groups like irish does like even more dialecty than like perhaps yeah than like english and so you have in the in many languages the struggle between whatever the government wants to have as a standard and which is seen as the sort of way that you as i said would write about the queen if you wrote about the queen in america like i don't know maybe if you wrote about the president you know, I, I don't like I feel the queen is sort of handy as a symbol of like you wouldn't want to use bad grammar about the queen like could you say you wouldn't want to use bad grammar about the president or like the prime minister of Ireland or the Taoiseach of Ireland or prime minister of Canada probably not like I wouldn't feel like I was betraying them the same way <laughs> you know it's like you know would Elizabeth II cry if she read it like I just feel like that is like the thing that English has going for it. And I'm sure it's the same in French. And like you actually, if you do talk to people from other languages, they're also very Italian, the same thing. They get very frustrated as well. Because, you know, heavy dialects also has got an Italian like academy too. And then of course, a lot of new, what we, I guess, what in Ireland we call newcomers to Ireland, newcomers to Italy, you know, people who are using different varieties of Italian. So I don't know what to do about it. I guess we have to keep trying to do what we're trying to do. I think the thing is you just do it. You realize that, I mean, I think once you explain to people that whatever variety is valued tends to be heavily associated with whiteness and power and whatever variety happens, like, you know, in, in, in Europe, I'm talking about in the sense of like, because these are all colonial nations, if they are colonial and colonizing power and tied up with that and then whatever is not a value tends to be lower class, non much like more like ethnic. Or, or global, global South ethnic, or whatever it is. Global yeah. South or like, or newcomers or like, and that's the problem is like, it's not a terrible thing to have standards, but it's the fact that the standards are always the same from the same group of people. And then used as a way to devalue new, like I think, varieties of the language that just don't fit in within that model like you know it's not like there aren't a million varieties of like english in canada and north america that are pretty exciting and like innovative but no one's going to praise them because they are innovating in a way that is not tied to whatever power culture you have and it's depressing because essentially you are just saying you can't use y'all because it's associated with this or you can't use this word because it's too not like you know it's not white enough or not powerful enough or not legacy enough whatever you mean by that does that i hope i'm explaining that right i mean it's basically making it about language as opposed to about all the other things is you know enables people to slide out of the what well, slide away from what they're actually saying sometimes well, I think that's a good place to 
to, to, to put a pin in it because I think you kind of yeah. said it there. Yeah, I think you kind of said it there. And that's uh, yeah. why, why we're both trying to do what we're trying to do. Hopefully we can get somewhere over time. Thank <laughs> you.